While the South Carolina Gamecocks took some steps forward overall as a team in 2021, there are certain in-game scenarios where they're going to have to play better in order to take another step forward in 2022. Locked on Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's Thursday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by LinkedIn, the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster, so post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always, thank you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. All right, so for today's show, I understand that For a lot of the lead-up heading into the 2022 season, I've been going over a lot of specific statistical markers, whether it be individual-based or maybe it be for the entire offense or defense, in order to give y'all an idea of what areas the Gamecocks need to improve on for the 2022 season if the Gamecocks want to accomplish what they are setting out to do. Today's show is going to be a little bit similar to this. However, instead of going over maybe some specific statistics like rush defense and passing offense, I'm going to go over some in-game situational statistics. Some stats that maybe leading into a new football season might not get thrown out there as much. So for today's show, I'm going to go over two major in-game trends from 2021 that the Gamecocks need to set out to change. And the two major ones are going to be playing better situational football, and getting off to better starts in road games. And then the minor trend is going to be addressing some of these less talented opponents that the Gamecocks have on the schedule and how they need to fare in those games. So let's start today's show with the first major in-game trend from 2021 that must change. And that is, as I mentioned, situational football. Now, We need to do better in terms of situational football on both offense and defense this year. And by situational football, I'm talking about stuff like red zone play, third down play, and also overall turnover margin. And when you look at these particular stats for South Carolina back in 2021, some of these stats can be quite sobering, especially for those of us who think that the Gamecocks have a ton of potential to really exceed sort of the 6-7-1 mark that a lot of people have set on them for 2022. So let's start off with third down conversion rate. For third down offense, the Gamecocks only converted 35.1% of their 171 third down attempts on offense. This was the second worst mark in the SEC. And obviously, this was due to a few different factors. First of all, we have to talk about offensive line play. And I know some of y'all are probably sick and tired of me bringing up the offensive line, but the point is, this is just a unit where in terms of their play in 2021, we just can't get around it when talking about what needs to improve. So for this, you know, the offensive line had a couple different areas, according to footballoutsiders.com, where they did not do very well. One area being the percentage of carries 
by running backs that got ahead of the line of scrimmage. Basically, the stuff rate that was allowed by the offensive line. And in terms of that, South Carolina's offensive line allowed a 20.6% stuff rate, which ranked 103rd in the FBS and dead last in the SEC. And this is important because with this statistic, we could assume that almost all offensive lines are going to call a run play on either first or second down with every new set of downs, which means that the Gamecocks far too often were playing catch-up on multiple sets of downs throughout football games, on multiple drives, which played a role in this next stat I'm about to mention, passing downs sack rate. You may have heard this stat mentioned before, but if you don't remember it, here's the quick definition. It's the unadjusted sack rate for passing down pass attempts. Basically, obvious passing down situations where the offense did indeed choose to go back and throw the ball. The Gamecocks had a 12.8% passing down sack rate on the offensive side of the ball, which ranked 117th in the FBS and probably right at the bottom in the SEC. Now, this is important to note because third down plays typically make up a decent chunk of obvious passing down situations. And so if you're not able to get back in pass protection and protect your quarterback on plays where the opponent pretty much knows that, hey, they need to extend this drive. They're going to have to throw the football here. We can just send pretty much an all out, maybe six, seven man blitz, or maybe run just some simple stunts up front to confuse the O-line. And we're guaranteed to probably at least get back there and probably get some pressure on the quarterback. That's not good for South Carolina's offense. It's not good for any offense to have to endure throughout 12 football games in a regular season. But in fairness to the offensive line, this was also due to multiple other factors. The running backs sometimes didn't hit the right gap on run plays, or they didn't make enough defenders miss in the open field, which led to a lot of first down, second down, and maybe even third down runs being stuffed at the line of scrimmage, or maybe even behind the line of scrimmage. The quarterbacks didn't always properly communicate, leading to some sacks and making some bad throws. Obviously, with a new pro-style offense that the Gamecocks were ushering out onto the field this past season, there was a lot of new nuances with the system. The quarterback's communication was extremely vital in terms of offensive line blocking schemes, telling the running backs what they need to do, and even communicating with the wide receivers on the edges. And the bottom line is, South Carolina had some really bad stability at quarterback this past season, and it included a lot of guys that never had any experience in this kind of offensive scheme. And so, Obviously, when you throw both of those factors in together, that can lead to disastrous results at times. And and another factor that probably led to these stats were the wide receivers not getting enough separation on routes and at certain points dropping some critical passes on, say, third down or second down, especially passing downs. And, you know, if you remember the Kentucky game, the Gamecocks had plenty of opportunities on third and fourth and short, but wide receivers made some critical drops for one reason or another. So all these stats played a role in the Gamecocks not doing so well in terms of third down offense. Now let's look at third down defense. The Gamecocks allowed their opponents to convert 40.2% of their third down attempts, which was the fourth worst mark in the SEC. Now, a big part of this, of course, was due to the rush defense not getting the job done consistently enough. Opportunity rate is another statistic used by footballoutsiders.com, and they define that term as the percentage of carries when four yards are available that gain at least four yards. Basically, percentage of carries where the offensive line does their job. That's word for word the way that they define this term. And 
In terms of opportunity rate on defense, South Carolina gave up an opportunity rate of 53.8%, which was the second worst mark in the SEC, only ahead of the Ole Miss Rebels. Power success rate is another stat that footballoutsiders.com uses, and that is the percentage of runs on third or fourth down, two yards or less to go, that achieved either a first down or a touchdown. And in this case, the Gamecocks gave up a power success rate of 88.9%, which was tied for dead last in the entire country, which is just astronomically bad when you think about the situations we're discussing here in terms of extending drives or scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And then the stuff rate for the defense, which of course is the same definition that I mentioned earlier, was 11.9%, which was also the worst mark in the SEC. So bottom line, the defense did not do a good enough job at standing their ground or shedding blocks, especially on the interior. And I also think that a lack of particular experience for Damani Staley and Brad Johnson at linebacker skewed these data points a little bit. With Damani Staley, he was not used to being the guy that had to be out there on the defense and pretty much be the Mike linebacker that was making a lot of the calls for the front six in this 4-2-5 defense. Brad Johnson, it was his first year as a pure linebacker. The first time he wasn't sort of this hybrid Sam linebacker slash buck player that he was when Will Muschamp and his coaching staff was here. So for Brad Johnson, he had to heavily rely on Damani Staley to sort of make sure that he was in the right position. And then from that point on, when the plays actually started, Brad Johnson, of course, had to make decisions at the snap of a finger practically in terms of where he needed to go. And, of course, that didn't always work out well enough. So, again, kind of like I mentioned about the offensive line with third down offense, it wasn't always the defensive line's fault in terms of letting their opponents extend drives on third down. There was a lot of different factors that went into play here that led to these percentages being so bad for South Carolina in these scenarios. Now, in just a little bit, I'm going to talk about what happened in terms of turnovers, the amount of turnovers that South Carolina gained and the amount that they also lost on the offensive side and how that could have maybe affected some of these games from last season. I'll also talk about their red zone conversion rates, both on offense and defense, and do a little deep dive into that as well. But before I do all that, I do need to pass along a message from our friends over at LinkedIn, who are the sponsors for today's show. Now, as you gear up for the fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Myself being a recent college graduate, I've been able to connect and stay in touch with many people who are alumni of the University of South Carolina. When you use LinkedIn Jobs, you can create a job post in minutes to reach both your own personal network and a worldwide professional network consisting of 810 million people. A lot of people to be able to reach out and connect to. You can also add your job to the purple hashtag hiring frame on your profile, which helps to find the right people that fit the job description to a T using tools like screening questions to filter through candidates and populate viable choices. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus other leading competitors in the industry. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Why just sit back and waste such a good opportunity here to find another employee? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free today. Terms and conditions still apply. 
Welcome back to this Thursday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, and thank you once again for making us your first listen every day. The Ultimate College Football Preview is here, a seven-episode preview with college experts, local team experts, and Odyssey College Football Insiders. It's everything you need to be ready for the college football season all in one spot. Search for Ultimate College Football Preview on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so starting off segment two, let's finish the discussion on situational football with turnover margin and red zone conversion percentages, both for offense and defense for South Carolina. So when looking at the turnover margin from this past season and what the Gamecocks need to do in 2022 to improve in this department, the thing is neither stat from turnovers forced or turnovers gained are going to be replicated. We all know this. The question is going to be, which one falls off the most? In terms of the amount of turnovers that were forced by the defense, the Gamecocks better hope that this is not what falls off, as the Gamecocks forced 24 turnovers in 2021, which led the SEC. The offense, however, was almost so bad in terms of turnovers that they almost completely neutralized everything that the defense did last year as they literally turned it over 23 times in 2021. One more turnover and we would have finished with a net neutral turnover margin, meaning that, of course, we had a plus one turnover margin and that was tied for eighth in the SEC, basically being dead average in terms of that statistic. Now, last season in games where South Carolina had two turnovers or more, the Gamecocks went 3-5 and five in those games. For further context, the Gamecocks averaged 2.4 turnovers a game in those same five losses. Now, I'm not trying to sit here and tell y'all that, you know, if we don't turn over the ball at least two times, then we're going to win the game automatically. Obviously, turnovers are not the only thing that play a role in you trying to win a football game. But cutting down on some of these turnovers, bottom line, would help this team significantly this season. It would allow the Gamecocks a chance to maintain a field position advantage during the game, which again is another small, or I shouldn't say small factor, but it is certainly a factor that does not get looked at very much, even during football games when they're happening live. It also, of course, would give the other team less chances to score points automatically, which anytime you can lessen the amount of opportunities or drives your opponent has, that is something that you ought to be working really hard at preventing, of course. And, of course, in the Gamecocks situation from last season, if the offense had not turned the ball over as much, it could have maybe given the Gamecocks defense more time to recoup during these games and, again, make some adjustments. The players could have talked to one another. Maybe they could have made some points to some of the defensive coaches. Certain things that maybe they aren't seeing as closely when they're on the football field, at least for the coaches that are on the sidelines. So it allows a lot of time throughout maybe a quarter or a half for defense to be able to, again, make the necessary adjustments because football is a game of chess. You're always constantly having to think ahead and trying to move pieces, sometimes in order just to see how your opponent is going to react to the choices that you are making. And another reason why turnover numbers on offense must improve is because it'll be hard for the defense to honestly be able to fully replicate what they did last year. Look, 24 turnovers forced by the Gamecock defense was a phenomenal stat, and it played a big role in the Gamecocks being, I think, 43rd in the country in terms of points given up per game with, like, an average of 24 points given up. But the SEC average for turnovers forced in 2021 was 16.7. 
The Gamecocks, again, got 24. So they got one and a half times the SEC average in terms of turnovers forced on defense last year. Again, that's going to probably be very hard to replicate in 2022. So another reason why, especially on offense, turnovers need to be a point of emphasis in 2022 in terms of changing that narrative. So all of those reasons should be factored in for why turnovers need to be a point of emphasis for this team in 2022. Why they still need to try to create some turnovers while also lessening the turnovers given up on offense. Now, let's move on to the red zone conversion rate, starting off with red zone offense. Now, the Gamecocks only had 41 trips in the red zone, which was the third worst mark in the SEC already. And in those 41 trips, We only scored 20 collective touchdowns, which was the worst mark in the SEC. Quick math on that. That means that less than half the time the Gamecocks were getting in the red zone, they were actually leaving with a touchdown being scored. And that is certainly not a good stat to have for your red zone offense. So essentially, not only were the Gamecocks not able to drive down the field into the red zone with consistency... But even when they got that deep in opponent territory with less space to work with, the offense struggled to keep the chains moving. And there was a few reasons why this was the case. They were working the kinks out on a new pro style offense, which I've mentioned, you know, consistently It is very different from anything the Gamecocks have been running in recent years. And it's one that requires a lot of time and patience on certain plays. And with some of the things that went awry for South Carolina offense last year, they didn't always have that. There also wasn't a lot of bona fide playmakers at the wide receiver position. And that's no offense to the guys that were a part of the wide receiver group from last year. But, you know, Josh Fan stepped up as the main wide receiver target. And Jaheim Bell also stepped up in certain games. But otherwise, we just didn't have that guy out wide where we pretty much knew we can get the ball to him and no matter whether it is a tunnel screen or you know it is a deep cross we know that they're going to make plays South Carolina just did not have that last year there was also an inconsistent rotation at running back for whatever reason that I'm not going to be able to really pontificate on because obviously I'm not in the coach's minds with when it comes to their rotations with the running backs and how they divvy up the snaps. But there were certain moments that that felt like the running back rotation, quite honestly, was not what it should have been, if that makes sense to all of you who are watching and listening to the show. And the biggest thing is we never established any sort of identity on offense. And I know that that's a cliche saying for a lot of people, and it makes a lot of college football fans roll their eyes when they hear this. But honestly, having an offensive identity isn't really a bad thing because... In my opinion, an offensive identity in terms of college football can be termed as basically it's your calling card on offense. Look, if everything else on offense just isn't working during a particular day, during a certain game, and you need to have some plays happen, you need to be able to drive down the field, you need a drive where you can drive downfield and score a touchdown, then you have a certain concept or you have a certain facet of your offense that works so well that you just keep on hitting it over and over and over again. And no matter what the defense tries to do to make adjustments to that, there's just no way for them to stop it because your offense executes it so well. 2014 against Kentucky. I'll never forget that game. It was the game of the Wildcat formation. Kentucky literally ran the Wildcat for probably over half that ball game on offense. For most offenses now in modern football, that wouldn't normally work. But in that game, Kentucky was executing it so well that they wound up, I think, scoring 40-plus points and beating the Gamecocks 
on that night. I think 45 to 42 was the final score. The Gamecocks losing in very heartbreaking fashion. So the point being with red zone offense, the Gamecocks have just got to find a way to be able to stay on the field more consistently on offense. And if they do that with the additions on the offense that they have this year at the skill positions, of course, Spencer Rattler at quarterback, assuming that the offense is going to be better overall with their pass and run blocking, be more consistently good, then we can assume that with those sustained drives, we will see more red zone trips. And with more red zone trips, we will see more red zone scores from this team. Welcome back to the final segment of today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day. All right, let's pick up the conversation again with red zone defense. Now, the Gamecocks gave up 33 scores and 37 allowed red zone trips, which was good for an 89.2% cumulative red zone score percentage for South Carolina's opponents in 2021. This was the fourth worst mark in the SEC, and there was many reasons why this happened. The offense not being able to sustain drives and the defense not always getting off the field quickly added up a high volume of snaps for the defense. And I talked about, you know, on yesterday's show, how complacency is the biggest threat to any program team or athlete becoming great at what they do. Well, when it comes to an actual football game, in terms of sort of how the tempo of the game is going, the biggest threat to your defense is fatigue. Fatigue happens when you have these long sustained drives by your opponent and your offense on your team is not really doing the same. And that happened a lot of times to South Carolina's defense, in my opinion, last year, which played a big role in this stat. The Gamecock corners also, in my opinion, this doesn't get talked about enough. For the most part, South Carolina's cornerbacks were going through baptism by fire in 2021. And I know that that's a little bit of a graphic statement to make, to make my point here. But what I'm really getting at is this. Cam Smith was the only one last year going into the season with some starting SEC experience. And even that was minimal. And he had guys like Darius Rush, Marcellus Dial, Carlins Platel, and David Spaulding, all who played at either an outside corner or the nickel corner spots. And they were going through their first year playing SEC football, or at least being an SEC starter, because Darius Rush, of course, had been on the team for a few years at that point, and it was his second season as a cornerback, but he really got tossed out there because, truthfully, there wasn't a whole lot behind Cam Smith and Darius Rush, and then, of course, Marcellus Dial, who got brought in from, I believe, Georgia Military College to sort of provide some depth and be another key piece back there as well, but the corners, in my opinion, had some difficulties, especially facing offenses like Tennessee's last year who were really solid in their passing game so when they got deep into the red zone they just weren't always able to really sort of keep up with these wide receivers they weren't always able to really pick up on maybe some of the tendencies that if having some more experience they would have been able to pick up on so that's something in my opinion that gets lost in the shuffle in terms of red zone defense so that does it for my talk on situational football. Let's move on to another major trend that the Gamecocks must end in 2022, or at least address to a great extent. Slow starts in the beginning of road games. In South Carolina's five road games in 2021, the Gamecocks were outscored by their opponents 128 to 27 for an average deficit of 20.2 points per road game for Carolina. If I narrowed this down even to just the first quarter for these five road games, South Carolina would have still been outscored 63-13 to for an average deficit of 
points per road game. So what you may be sitting there and wondering now thinking back to this stat and these slow starts that the Gamecocks had in these road games last season is why were these stats so bad? Well, in my opinion, the one thing you can point to is the lack of experience the team and coaching staff had with road games in these kind of environments. Think about this. South Carolina had to play on the road in Athens, Georgia, which I believe that's Stanford Stadium, and I believe that holds around 90,000, maybe a little over 90,000 fans. Of course, they had to play in Neyland Stadium against Tennessee, over 100,000-plus fans. And then Kyle Field over in College Station in Texas, playing Texas A&M. That stadium holds, I believe, a little over 90, maybe 95,000-plus fans. So some really tough road environments and just a gauntlet of a road slate that the Gamecocks had to deal with. That was one thing. Another culprit was the COVID-19 pandemic affecting the 2020 season like it did. Obviously, there was a lot of restrictions that were placed on home attendance. You can only have so many fans attend each and every single home game, which did not create the same kind of home environments for all of these teams that were able to play in 2020. So for a lot of these Gamecock football players, even guys that were like redshirt sophomores or above, they had not really experienced probably playing or starting a season in their college career with full fan bases. And again, it's different when you're a rotational or backup player and you know you're not going to be out there for like, you know, two-thirds, three-quarters of the ball game at your spot. But when you're a starter and you're out there and you're feeling the full effects of over 100,000 plus in Newland Stadium screaming their heads off at you in the middle of a ball game, oh, and you got to try to communicate with your teammates and make sure you got the play calls right, yeah, that can be very difficult for a football player in college. And in my opinion, that affected the players a great deal this past season, along with, of course, the transition and the culture change that Coach Shane was trying to create. For the coaches' side of things, it was their first year together as a staff and being with these players. And while some of these guys had been in the SEC before, you know, Coach Shane Beamer had been in the SEC. Greg Atkins, of course, had coached in the SEC before. Eric Kemry had played in the SEC. Coach Justin Stepp, the wide receivers coach, had coached at Arkansas. So these guys, some of these guys had SEC experience, but the issue was they had never coached a game together before. And again, that's a completely different dynamic when you separate just the individual experience that they've had in this conference. And I do believe that after the first couple road games for the Gamecocks, things did kind of snowball in terms of, you know, oh my gosh, here we go again. Because, you know, the Gamecocks were losing at East Carolina 14-7 to at halftime. They were losing in Athens, Georgia against the Bulldogs 26-6 to at halftime. They were losing at Tennessee 38-7 to at halftime. And I have to admit, I feel like that the Tennessee game from 2021 didn't necessarily maybe break the defense's morale, but... If there was a couple of touchdowns scored by their opponents on the road from that point on, South Carolina's football team, in my opinion, did kind of just sit there and just go, oh, great, here we go again. We're down, you know, 20 to nothing or 14 nothing. It's not even in the first quarter yet. And, you know, we're about to just get run out of the stadium. And they sort of let that really permeate throughout the entire sidelines and, you know, really rest on their minds. And, that affected them the rest of the game. I do believe that that definitely was something that took place. So the Gamecocks definitely have got to come out there with a better mentality, a better mindset, and really truthfully, they're just going to have to fight through some adversity. In this case, that's really the only thing they can do in order to try and correct this. And admittedly, the road slate is going to be a little bit easier this year. They do have to play at Kentucky. They do have to play at Florida. They will have to play at Clemson. And of course, they will have to also play 
at Vanderbilt, and they do have to play at Arkansas as well. So not saying all those road games are easier venues by any means, but I think that'll be a little bit easier in terms of the crowd noise compared to the slate that they had to deal with in 2021. But with that being said, y'all, that's going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. As always, what are y'all's thoughts on some of these trends that I mentioned on today's show? What is your opinion on third down conversion for offense and defense? The red zone? The turnover margin? Maybe getting out to better starts on the road? Is there any trends that I did not mention today's show that you think that I should have brought up? Anything maybe that you noticed from the 2021 season? What do you think about some of the stats that I threw out there? How much do you think maybe scheme continuity for the offense and defense is going to go a long ways in helping to offset some of these stats that were not so great from 2021? I do want to hear all of y'all's thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching this on YouTube. But of course, if you're listening to this on an audio podcast app, wherever you get your podcast daily, you can also feel free to shoot me a message at a lion underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that you have for me as quickly as I see them. And also, if you've enjoyed the Locked On Gamecocks podcast and you want to get more news on the entire SEC conference, then make Locked On SEC your second listen every day, where host Chris Gordy and the local experts of Locked On take you across the entire SEC in just 30 minutes. So again, make Locked On SEC your second listen after, of course, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that's going to do it for me on today's show. I hope that y'all have a great rest of your Thursday. We're just nine days away from the Carolina kickoff in Williams-Brice. I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. <laughs>